Hello, and welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Hola, bienvenidos a Harrisburg Hermanos en Cristo, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing, helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now, here's this week's sermon. I hope that it speaks to your heart. Thank you. That was beautiful. I trust you worship the Lord with that. Next week, I will do a dance also. So, uh, <laughs> Settle down, people. <laughs> We are uh, really privileged to have uh, Eldon Beyer come and preach for us this morning. Um, Eldon has been a Brethren in Christ pastor all his life, and his last church was across the river at the West Shore Brethren in Christ Church until he retired a few years ago. Uh, he's down in this area. He, he found uh, his wife, Marilyn, uh, and uh, they decided they needed to stay in this area uh, until... Maryland's parents passed on, which they have, and now uh, they will be moving and returning to Canada, and uh, where there's the most kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and all of that, so we are going to miss them very much. Uh, Eldon has lived a fascinating life, and uh, I've gotten to hear many of his stories on Wednesday night sitting around the table listening as he shared story after story. I told him if he ever wrote a biography... I will buy the book because it is, he's had a, an absolutely amazing life. And so uh, before he left, before they left to go to Canada, we thought uh, it'd be a shame not to have Eldon preach at least one time before they left us. And so Eldon, would you come and bring God's word? <laughs> Woody said he was going to send us off with his blessing, but he was going to punish us first. <laughs> I was at the table. <laughs> we have enjoyed our time here very much, and uh, it's been seven years, actually. It's, time has really flown, but uh, when we retired, to a large degree because of my hearing, I... I miss parts of conversations and I'll sometimes be, right now we're trying to sell our house and the other day we had a phone call and a uh, person was asking something about the roof and I was telling them about the furnace. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I just, I miss out parts of things in, in conversations. But uh, uh, anyway, we said we wanted to move to uh, a different church in the area and uh, we looked at some of the other churches where we had a lot of friends and so on. And I said, there was someone that we might feel more comfortable in, but I'm not sure God always calls us to be comfortable. And I thank the Lord for the stretching that uh, I have had here and, and uh, the wonderful fellowship that we have had 
uh, and a learning experience, and it's been great. <clears throat> I want to read for our scripture this morning from uh, Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 33. <clears throat> Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If he is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Everything I needed to know in life, I learned on the ball field. With all apologies to Robert Fulgram for his worthwhile book, all I really need to know in life, I learned on the ball field. the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I believe that we can learn spiritual lessons in almost any situation. Uh, when Woody asked me to speak, uh, he said, I'm not expecting a Mother's Day message, so most of this uh, isn't a Mother's Day message. But, uh, and, and, my, and my way of uh, putting things together, I, I figure we can learn everything. I used to do a lot of running, and I'd come back from a run, and, uh, and I'd have a sermon. You know, and you, you see things in nature all around you if you just open your eyes and let them apply. So uh, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as, uh, to the scripture that we just read and find out how some of these principles that I'm going to be sharing with you apply to your life. But right off the start, I need to make a couple of disclaimers. First, I never played real baseball, but I played many variations of softball. Uh, 
slow pitch and fastball and all those kinds of things. I organized uh, uh, tournaments and uh, ministerial uh, competitions uh, between the different churches and all that sort of thing. But uh, I never really played real baseball, <laughs> uh, as our nephew plays. Uh, but uh, I suggest there are a lot of things that we make very complicated in life that it doesn't need to be that complicated if we just stop and look and listen to what God's Word has to say to us. There are many good principles that we can use in multiple situations and, and focus them into our lives. The first point I want to share is it all goes back to God. It, there wouldn't be any ball field if God hadn't made it. God hadn't made you a place to play, there would be no place to play. In fact, there wouldn't be you <laughs> if it wasn't for God. God puts you here, and all goes back to God. We come from his hand, and we shall return and stand before him at the end of life. It all goes back to God. God made heaven and earth. Since God made heaven, he gets to decide who goes there. It's his home. He doesn't want anyone messing up his house with sin. He has made a preparation place or a dressing room uh, for you to get ready for his home. It's called planet Earth. Some get to play sandlot baseball, and some get to play minor league ball, and some get to play in the majors, but it all goes back to God. You don't own the ball field, but you get to play there. Take care of it. Cut the grass if need be. That could be a pun. Clean it up. It all goes back to God. Point number two, there is a rule book. There needs to be some basic rules if you're going to play the game. There is a rule book. Can you imagine playing any kind of game without rules? Or can you imagine one team coming to the ball field expecting to play baseball, another playing lacrosse, another basketball, another football, or somebody else just shows up with a bunch of new rules that they're going to play? There is a rule book. It's, the rule book is not to take your fun away. It's to help you enjoy the game. In the game of life, the one who designed our lives has left, stuff, has left us a record of how life works best. Compliments of centuries of people who have lived before us. Some were good examples and some were bad examples. And both are included in his book. As my father used to say, you can learn from everyone. Some you learn how to do it and some you learn how not to do it. But you can learn from everyone. Take the Bible out of the school, out of the home, or out of your life, and when real life comes at you, the kids say, what's this all about? <laughs> Confusion. <laughs> uh, but there is a rule book. There is a rule book. And, and he tells you how life is to be lived and how it works best for you. He wants you to have fun on the ball field and to enjoy life. Number three, the game has a purpose. What is the purpose of playing baseball? Some people go into the game with a lot of ulterior motives. The face, they face the game of life and choose some ulterior motives or goals in life. And some might say, I play baseball so I can get a $3 million contract. Some play, say I did it to make a name for myself. And not everyone who has thrown a baseball will be remembered 50 years from now for doing so. But many people have 
not found a purpose in life. Why do you play the game of life? What are we here for? Someone has said, uh, we're here to help others. Well, then what are the others here for? <laughs> uh, we're here for a purpose. We're here to enjoy the life created by God. He wants us to get into his game. Some might think, well, I was just born on the ball field. I heard the other day, or read the other day, that uh, Roy Rogers' father was born, born on uh, second base in uh, Cincinnati before the ball field was there. <laughs> uh, but uh, some would say, well, my mom just expected me to play ball, or, or that's just what I grew up doing. I sometimes think of the Westminster Catechism as a bit dull or canned, but even there, right up front, we find words about enjoying life. Question number one in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Question number two, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. It is the only rule to direct us how, to, how we may glorify and enjoy him. The enemy wants to take you out of the game. He wants to kill and destroy. You probably heard it said, it's not if you win or lose, it's how you play the game that counts. Well, there is a lot of truth in that when it comes to the game of life. We are created to enjoy the game of life. And the way to enjoy the game is to follow the owner's manual. The game of life has a purpose. It is to prepare you for the next part of your life. And it is to help you enjoy the journey. Now let's get into the game. If you're going to play the game, you have to decide which team you're going to join. Because like any other team sport, teamwork is number one. Point number four, teamwork is number one. I will do better if I play for the team. Not caring is one of the worst sins against the team. You may not be a great player, but if you don't care, you don't make a good spectator even. Uh, not caring is one of the worst sins against uh, the team and against your life, really. Spectators have been known to sway the wind for one team or the other. Spectators are important, but you need to choose which team you're cheering for. But even if you deeply care and are very motivated, one player can't win the game by him or herself. Teamwork is number one. Apologies to Woody, but baseball is not like golf. <laughs> Golf is a one-person show. Baseball, uh, like life, takes teamwork. You can only go so far in life by yourself. Sooner or later, you'll need somebody else. In fact, it's sooner rather than later. You would never make it if life wasn't for your mama. <laughs> uh, many animals carried you... Excuse me. Many animals are... I'll, I've skipped a line here. <laughs> You'd never make it in life if it wasn't for your mama, who carried you for nine months, more or less. Many animals are born ready to fend for themselves. Baby chicks may be born in an incubator and learn to peck at their food all by themselves. But human babies are pretty helpless. Someone needs to care for us the first few years of our lives, and then again for the last few years of our lives, and quite often in between as well. <clears throat> you need the team, and the team needs you. Some families go to one extreme or the other. 
Some do everything for the child right through high school, and the child never learns how to care for him or herself. Others go to the other extreme and never show any interest in the child's development. But if a child learns to be a contributing part of the family, they learn to be on the team. You look out for each other. You care for each other. Your family is your original team. Teamwork is number one. Number five, everyone on the team is important. Even the substitute players are needed to stand by. My first wife was on a ladies softball team in King Kirkland in Northern Ontario. The team had a pretty good record of wins. They probably had the best pitcher in the league. Most of the ladies worked at jobs during the day and sometimes their work prevented them from making it to the game on time. And if the team could not field a team of a certain number of players, they had to forfeit the game. My wife helped to make sure they had enough players until the better players got there. But she got to celebrate their wins just as much as any player on the team. Warm the seat, warm the pew, is, uh, let them know whose side you're on. Show up, be there, cast your votes as to whose side you're on, who you're cheering for. In 1 Samuel 30, we read of David and 600 men pursuing the Amalekites to get their wives and things, other things stolen from them uh, back, uh, to get them back. When they had gotten as far as the brook Besor, 200 of the 600 were so exhausted they could go no further. So David and the other 400 lightened their loads, leaving the 200 to guard the stuff while they caught up with the Amalekites. They had a glorious victory and got all their plunder back. And when they returned to the brook, some of the 400 didn't want to share with the 200 left behind. But David made the decree that all should share alike. Those who stayed by the stuff shared in the rewards of the battle, along with those who made it to the front lines. Everyone on the team is important. Even the fans who cheer them on, pre prepare the meals or do the laundry or whatever, everyone on the team is important. I remember when we were playing uh, hockey in uh, college, uh, Ken Moody was our goalie, uh, and he was Moody. <laughs> uh, when you start in the practice uh, and start uh, you know, doing the warm-ups and stuff, uh, if uh, you know he's uh, save a shot, you know, uh, uh, and uh, it wasn't too bad, and then somebody got one in. Oh, you're off tonight, are you, Ken? He would let anything in. If somebody just spoke a word of discouragement to him, um, we'd get scores against us, you know, 12, 15. <laughs> it was kind of kind of high in hockey, but. If somebody said, uh, you know, a word of encouragement, but he stopped a couple shots, and, and he really did, oh, you're really on tonight, are you, Ken? And I've seen him make fantastic saves that, that just nobody else seemed to make, but, but everyone on the team is important because just a word of encouragement is sometimes all it takes to, to make a difference of winning or losing. Point number six, everyone on the team goes to bat for the rest of the team. If you listen to a good team player being interviewed by the sportscaster, they, they will interview one of the stars of the game, but a team player will often divert the praise to one of the other players who set him up for the win or for someone uh, who said something or did something to help him along. You go to bat for the other guy. It's not all about you. Keep a united front against the opposition. If someone badmouths one of the team, you have something to stay. You step into it. Uh, you stick up for them. Uh, in the church, how easy it is to do just the opposite. Someone makes a negative comment about 
some other brother or sister and we agree and add our own little tidbit of gossip. We weaken the team that way. We weaken ourselves that way. I don't look good throwing dirt. And when I throw dirt, I lose ground in more ways than one. Number seven, be a good sport. The opposition is not your enemy. Bad habits, bad attitudes, sinful lifestyles, careless actions are the enemy. And that applies to golf, too. It's, it's the bad habits and the, and the wrong attitude, and those things can destroy your game. Connie Mack once commented, I've seen boys on my baseball team go into slumps and never come out of them. And I've seen others snap right out and come back better than ever. I guess more players lick themselves than are ever licked by an opposing team. The first thing any man has to know is how to handle himself. End of quote. What is the purpose of the game? Well, question number one from the, from the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. <clears throat> A game is to enjoy. <coughs> I think I'm going to need some water. A game is to enjoy. You can't enjoy a game if you're not a good sport. Thank you. <clears throat> now, enjoying the game is not picking dandelions out in the ball field. Uh, it's being all in. It's leaving it all in the field. That's an expression more for football than it is for baseball. But uh, you're putting your best into it. I never played hockey as a boy, even though I am Canadian. But when I got to Bible college, they recruited every available warm body. There were only 35 students, and so I played. <laughs> <clears throat> but I did play old-timer hockey through until I was 62 years old. <clears throat> However, when I was pastoring at the Walsingham Brethren Christ Church, uh, our uh, church sometimes played against the Cheapside uh, Brethren Christ Church. That's where... Uh, uh, Morris Cider and uh, Harvey Cider came from. <clears throat> uh, some of the players questioned whether we should allow Stan to play on their team. He played semi-professional hockey, and, and he was a much better player than the rest of us. Uh, this was to be non-contact hockey, which is really kind of a misnomer. But, <laughs> but if you made contact with Stan, uh, he wasn't the one that moved. But I actually enjoyed playing opposite him. He taught me a lot. I learned some things not to do. When he would get me, he would say, next time, do such and such, or keep your head up and watch for this. He was on the other team. He was from the other church, but he was a good sport, and he was there to enjoy life. I needed to learn to be a good sport and to learn some life skills, even though some of, for some of us, it was in the school of hard knocks. You learn to duel it out, but shake hands at the end. The other team is not the enemy. In fact, get this, the other team is your ticket to success. Rough things, hard things in life, the opposition, they are your ticket to success. If there was no other team, there'd be no World Series. Uh, you know, the opposition is good for you. It's to strengthen you, to build you up, hash things out, work things over, 
How is, it, how is life supposed to be lived and, and yet enjoy it together? The opposition is not the enemy. Bad habits, sin, bad attitudes, all those things, uh, they're the things that are our enemy. The things that hit us hard can teach us the best lessons. Be a good sport and always remember the purpose of the game. Number eight, do your best. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do your best with enthusiasm. Again, words my father often quoted, things done by halves are never done right. Some things have to be done as well as you can for the time allotted to the task, but you know you have done your best when you look over at the coach and he gives you a smile or a nod. Sometimes doing your best means striking out or a pop-up fly, fly ball. A sacrifice on my part may get someone else in. Remember, there is one who is willing to sacrifice for you so that you can make it home. And it's great to be on his team. Number nine, you don't always have to win to be a winner. <clears throat> in baseball, you're considered a success uh, even though you only hit one ball out of three strikes. And even if you do this three or four times out of ten, you're a star. Now, in golf, fall balls count against you. <laughs> Uh, even one of those ticks off the tee where it just dro you know, drops about a foot, it's still counted against you. But uh, baseball is much for more forgiving. In baseball, you keep hitting foul balls, and they'll let you stay in there and keep swinging until you get it right. <laughs> or strike out. <laughs> uh, but one lost game is not the series. One lost series is not the season. One lost battle is not the war. Get back into the game. Even though you struck out the last number of times at the plate, Get back in the game. It's hard to shake off a losing streak. It's also hard not to get self-confident in a winning streak or end up choking. Also, armchair critics don't help the game. If you want to help, cheer us on, or better yet, show us how it's done. Get back into the game. But you don't always have to win to be a winner. The game is one, one base at a time, one more week, one more day, one more hour. Good intentions are not enough. Only those who make it safely home count. But yet, man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. When you can't make it home on your own, Jesus carries you. Sometimes you might wonder if you're going to make it. The ball coming at you might seem like a giant bowling ball instead of a little baseball. Instead of you hitting it, it hits you and rolls you down. You don't get to choose what life throws at you. You get to choose what you do with what comes your way. It's easy to misjudge what's coming your way when life comes at you 90 miles an hour. I know the movie Angels in the Outfield is a lot of wishful thinking, but if you can translate that concept into your, our unseen and spiritual lives, it is true that we have our angels going to bat for us all the time. You don't have to wait just for the right time or the whim of the some fickle spirit. Uh, the Lord has promised to never leave you and never forsake you. The angels are watching over you. You don't always have to win to be a winner. The ultimate goal for the Christian, as in baseball, is to make it home.
Number 10, make it home. Remember, it's not over until it's over. Jesus shows that even death isn't the end. There is a resurrection. Never, never give up. You may be called out. You may be called a failure. But remember, God looks at the heart. There will be a replay. God, Jesus looks at the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Keep your eyes on the coach. The judge of all the earth will do right. Finish well. Make it home. Meanwhile, enjoy the competition. Enjoy the game. You have a great coach. You have a great leader. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in Christ, we are, we who are many are one body, and each belongs to all the others. We each have different gifts. Let's use them cheerfully, use them carefully and cheerfully, and keep your eyes on the prize. Walter Fick was a Polish immigrant who worked in the gold mine with me, uh, and he came to Canada following wor World War II. Walter read about anything he could get his hands on, and uh, he read in many different languages. Although Walter had read widely about many religions, he became very cynical about all religions. I tried to share with him the message of the gospel of Jesus, but Walter would always shake it off with the words, nobody knows who's, who's right. You say this, and someone else says that. Nobody knows who's right. Years later, I was called back uh, to pastor in that same area, just a few miles from there and where the, the, the larger center was in Kirkland Lake. And one day while I was visiting in the hospital, I happened upon Walter. He told me he had cirrhosis of the liver. Drink too much, he said. When, when I asked him regarding his eternal salvation, he replied, nobody knows who's right. You say this, Jehovah's Witness say that, the Mormons say something else. Anyway, he continued, I have no sin. I never killed anybody. I'm not a bad man. Next time I visited Walter, he was in very bad shape in the hospital, hallucinating, and he thought he was back in wartime Poland. The next two weeks, I asked the church to have special prayer for Walter, that he would be given one more chance to accept Christ as his Savior. On my next visit to Walter, uh, my next visit to the hospital, Walter was down the hall visiting another old mining buddy. When I was about to leave, Walter said to me, if you have a few moments, come back to my room. I want to talk to you. When I got there, Walter said, you know, I told you before I have no sin. I have lots of sin. Can you tell me one more time? How Jesus... Can you forgive my sin? I reviewed the plan of salvation and led Walter in a sinner's prayer. No more than he had finished praying when he started preaching me a sermon. Jesus is the only way. The Bible is the true book. You must pray to accept Jesus by faith. I took out my date book and wrote down eight points that he, that he preached to, to me. I never saw a man so dramatically changed by one short prayer. Uh, he had the background. He had it in there. But he was... In the days that followed, Walter witnessed to all who would stop and listen. One day he said, 
you know I read English not too bad, but I w wish I could find Polish Bible. I read better Polish. When I stopped later with a Polish Bible, he was just breathing his last. I called the nurse to tell her, and as we stood there looking at Walter, she said, well, we know he made his peace with God. He was telling everybody. Walter had made a home run. See you later. Thank <laughs> you.